This is Sam's Sports Podcast. It's Thursday, April 7th, 2016, and I am here to talk about Sam Hinkie, general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers. Yesterday, he steps down, he resigns. This man has been the center of so much controversy with the Sixers, with the league, with all the reporters, with the bloggers, with the pundits, with everybody who talks about basketball, the NBA, the approach to teams, the way to draft players, the way to build a team. Sam Hinkie's approach and and the the, the 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 all of these labels we put to his approach on how to run the team the process, uh, tanking, all of these things that he did never wanted to come close to discussing or, or mentioning in public, you know, whether it was accurate or not, it came to light yesterday when he formally submitted a 13-page letter to the shareholders slash owners of the Philadelphia 76ers announcing that he formally resigns. So, Oh my God, just so much drama coming out with this guy. So much drama has surrounded his entire tenure with the Sixers. I can't help but get on the microphone and discuss this. So to talk through my rationale and my logic, number one, you have to discuss where Sam Hinkie has come from and who he is and his kind of unconventional nature. So he came from Houston. He'd been working under Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey's notably a, a very innovative GM who used um, statistics, you know, the sports science kind of end of things. He's been innovative in how he's approached some of his drafting, some of his signings, and he is very, very accredited, very highly, for pulling off the James Harden trade. When Daryl Morey was able to get James Harden uh, from the Oklahoma City Thunder, this was this big coup of a trade, how he had all of these draft picks and all of these assets, which he was able to trade and move to get James Harden. And so he was really, really, he's held in very high regard for many things, but this is one of his key accomplishments. So Daryl Morey did this. Now, Sam Hinkie was kind of a protege of his in Houston. He was more of an inside uh, the office type guy, more of a numbers type guy, guy, you know, someone who's looking at the sports science. So enter Hinkie into the Sixers. So he comes to the Sixers right after they made the atrociously awful Andrew Bynum trade, which, as we now know, Sam Hinkie put in his letter, because his letter went public and is now on the internet. I just sat down and read the entire 13 pages of it. And let me tell you something. Sam Hinkie is an intellectual. This is an interesting guy, to say the least. Um, one of the things he highlights is that when he came to this team at that time, the crops were dead. The crops were gone, as he put it. You had traded away all these draft picks. You had a superstar who wasn't any good. And you had young players who you'd gotten rid of in order to procure this superstar. You were essentially, as he put it, in the cycle of NBA teams, you were in a trough. That's what he said. So he comes in. From day one, there is an innovative uh, and, and innovative but also unconventional approach to how he ran the team. He very openly and honestly began moving draft picks and assets off the team so that they could essentially get crappier, cheaper players and and put themselves in a better position to procure players, you know, via the draft, via the trades, um, or via offseason, you know, uh, signings. And in his words, he's saying this is what every other team does. We were just sort of putting it out there and not being shy about it or trying to apologize for it. Now, 
The other thing that came, now before I go into the complete, you know, history of his time there and what happened, let me discuss the last couple of days. Now, uh, for me personally, I just started a new job on Wednesday, today is Thursday. Now on Tuesday, Tuesday, Sam Hinkie comes on to a podcast, comes on to Zach Lowe's podcast called The Low Post. Now this is a basketball podcast, Zach Lowe is a senior staff writer at ESPN, he does great work, I love his podcast, I think he's very, very... Um, you know, informed and makes good points. But the thing that stuck out about this is that Sam Hinkie, for his three years with Philadelphia, has been notorious for not giving interviews, for not talking to reporters, for not having a face-to-face where he can talk about his history, talk about his approach, talk about what's going on. He essentially is trying to avoid the limelight. He's kind of saying, you know what, I'm just going to be in my office doing things the way I do things, and I don't really need to talk to you about it. You know, he was being kind of contrarian, a little bit off-putting, because he wasn't the person who wanted to go out there and talk to you. And I can understand this a little bit more when I heard the podcast because the guy's an interesting guy. He's not a normal person that you talk to who has like an easygoing manner. He's, listen, he's a nice guy, but he's an interesting person. His brain definitely works in a different way, and that became a little bit more apparent as I listened to this interview. He is an intellectual. I mean, he is someone who is thinking so hard about, about you know, philosophers and, and Nietzsche and, thing, and, and physicists and science. Like, this is something that truly fascinates this man. And it really became a little bit more apparent in this interview. And I'm sitting here listening to this hour-long, it was even more than that, it might even been an hour and a half, um, uh, with Zach Lowe. And, and Hinky is talking about how, you know, the losses hurt him too. He's like, listen, I lost 20 pounds over the course of, uh, you know, a couple of months earlier this season as I saw our team lose this much. I'm hoping that they win this game tonight. He's like, listen, I'm in New York now with Zach Lowe. I'm going to hop on the train. I go back tonight. They're playing the Pelicans. Hopefully they can win this game against the Pelicans. I, do, I certainly want them to not tie the worst record uh, in league history by only having nine wins. He was hoping for the team to win. He is someone like, listen, I want them to win just like anybody else. I'm certainly not trying to get them to lose. Um, so he was very much out there about it, but it was also the first time any of us really got a sense of what he thought of some of these players, um, what he felt about some of the trades he had made. He was discussing Joel Embiid, how this idea of, you know, it's not certain that this guy is a superstar. It's not certain that he's going to work out, but you you do the best you can. You know, he was very honest and real about how much luck plays into these these situations and how much it has to do with the bouncing of the ping pong balls in the draft lottery. And then once you have the draft lottery, picking the right guy and the luck that goes into, you know, picking a guy who's a bust or not a bust. So fascinating stuff. And I hear him on this podcast, and I send it to my dad. I send it to my brother. I'm like, you got to check this out. Sam Hinkie finally speaks. We get to hear a thing or two about him. And then the very next day, news hits that he's resigned. He's quit. He's stepping down. He's walking away. He wrote a 13-page letter. The letter comes out, and I read this thing. It is dense. I mean, he is making references to intellectuals. He's making references to these these big, bold minds who are thinking about innovative, what Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, you know, other GMs and coaches and players, like he's really talking in a, in a grand scheme of things. And as honestly, you know, I think we were all sort of guessing or alluding to the fact that this was his approach. The idea of, you know, 
trying to get better assets and, and, you know, sometimes trading away a good player because you're getting a better asset. You're getting a second round pick. You're getting a future first round pick that these are valuable things that are going to put you in a better position to have better players in the future to put yourself in a place where you're going to be able to win games and hopefully win the championship. And that part of it comes with the pain of losing. Um, it's not, uh, you know, fun to admit it, but he certainly admitted it. And now many of the fans, many of the people had talked about this, had clearly sort of pointed a finger and said, this is what you're doing. And he was never one to step out and say, yes, that's what we're doing. That is our approach. We're trying to lose these games. He's in his mind. He's like, this is the cost of doing business. This is the cost of rebuilding a, a bad team into a team that has a culture and and future picks and future players and a pipeline towards years of winning. And he essentially was honest about the fact that this is what it entails and this is what it involves. And then when he released this resign letter, it, it, it all became clear. The things he never went to the reporters and, and admitted to and said was true. This was his approach. And he wasn't out there to lose games. He wasn't out there to tank. In his mind, this is what it takes to put the team and the organization in the best possible scenario to get the best possible players to get them to win every year. And he makes this fascinating analogy where he and he makes a lot of investment analogies because he knows that all these people in this room who own the Sixers, they're investment bankers. These are finance people, okay? These are people who take you know, $30 million companies, buy them, and then make them $50 million companies. These are all investment people. These are all people who are lawyers, you know, econ majors, hedge fund people, you know, stressed assets, venture capitalists. These are all money, money, money New York people that he's talking to. He's not talking to basketball GMs. He's not talking to friggin' scouts and stuff. He's talking to rich white, own, pardon my friend, rich white owners who are sitting around a board table saying, you know what, it's pretty embarrassing that we're losing this much. And Sam's sort of like, what the fuck did you think was going to happen, man? It's like, listen, and, and when you, uh, or sorry, I'm getting away from the point. Let me get back to his analogy. He says, okay, listen, January 1st, 2015. He says the, the S&P 500 is at this price. That same price, it's the same price it's been for the last 30 years. How do you expect someone to make money off your investment if the price is not moving up and down? He says, he says this is a zero growth industry. And he puts in parentheses, how many of you at this, at this table, these investors of this Sixers team would ever invest in a zero growth industry? That's a finance term that these guys get and get specifically. The layman might not understand that. But he knows his audience. Hinky's a smart guy. He's saying, listen, guys, this is a hard business. It doesn't work the same way as it does on Wall Street here in the NBA. And you know what? When you approach it the same way, it doesn't work out the same way, okay? You can't think you can approach it this way and still save face when your team is losing and your fans are pissed. So he's pretty much like, listen, the NBA every year is 82 games. If we're going to get better that means we have to take wins away from other teams. That means essentially we have to steal and sign and take away stuff and share wins with these other teams in this league. That's the only way to improve. You can't all improve your wins and have everybody with more wins every year. It doesn't work that way. Someone's got to be a winner and someone's got to be a loser. This all came out in his letter. It all came it was clear as day now. And 
what I think became honest is I think that the owners, in my opinion, this is Sam's opinion, Sam's final opinion after reading all of this is that the owners bought into this. They wanted this. They truly agreed with Hinky's innovation, and it truly was innovation because he wasn't pulling any punches. He went into it 100%. He didn't sign some mid-range veteran for a you know league minimum. He didn't sign a couple of guys who would be mid-grade superstars that could bring them to 32 wins or 28 wins and kind of drag them along and, you know, you know, pretend like they're trying to, you know, put together a championship team around like a Michael Carter Williams or a Spencer Hawes or an Evan Turner. He's like, no, we're not doing that. These guys aren't working. We're just going to try to get a better option for them. If Evan Turner isn't your superstar, let's get rid of him and get assets, which could put us with another player who's a better superstar. And he also stresses international players. He stresses the fact that it's like we have rights to three international players, okay? That's more than the rights that we had before. He's like, let me tell you something. San Antonio Spurs, they got rights to 13 international players because this is an international league now, all right? We're looking all over the globe for the best guy out there. And having guys like Dario Saric Owning the rights to them means you get to groom and hang on to a possible future superstar, but you don't get to clog up your 15-man roster with him. That means that you get to have 15 guys here in the States, and you get to have even more guys in your, you know, in your disposal overseas. He was highlighting that as another way to give the team future assets, and he's saying this is what it takes to, to put the team in the best possible scenario to get the best players on the team. And this is how you do it. And instead of trying to get a couple of guys to maybe feign as though they're trying to get better right away, he was just like, you know what? We're not dilly-dallying. If this guy isn't working, get rid of him and get some trade and get some future uh, picks. And, and, and when the guys do work out, when they are, you know, fitting in, keep them. He was talking a lot in his letter about TJ McConnell, about uh, Jeremy Grant, um, about, uh, you know, Rashawn Holmes, these second round picks or these undrafted rookies who were like, look, these guys are NBA caliber. We can grow them. We can get them better. We can improve them and we can keep them here at a pretty decent price. Now, if that's not a way to build through the draft and through, you know, you know, future young players, then what way do you do it? The shame of it was, is that they just kept losing. They kept losing so darn much. There wasn't any you know, in some ways, it almost felt like this all could have worked out a little better if there was some more appearances, if there was some more play that, oh, sorry, just, that there was some more play by Hinky and the organization as though that there was optimism and, and that they shouldn't have, you know, promoted the whole rebuilding package. They just should have, you know, said, we're, we're doing what everybody else is doing and, and kept doing what they wanted to do anyway. But instead, they were, they were very, they weren't shy about their innovation. They weren't shy about making, you know, bold moves. And it it evoked the ire of the league. It evoked the ire of the pundits, of the sports writers, of everybody. It evoked everybody's venom. And I think that finally got to the owners. And I think after three years, the owners pretty much predict the owners were like, you know what? We can't do this anymore. It's not fun anymore. Even though from a financial standpoint, I think things were good. The Sixers had one of the lowest payrolls in the league, which means that the owners, you're still selling tickets. You're still selling TV packages. You're still selling Sixers gear. 
If anything, the owners are probably still making good money. They're probably making better money now than they will in the next couple of years because when your team's winning, that means you got good players on your team that you've got to open up your checkbook and pay. If your team's losing, that means you got bad players on your team that you're not paying much money to, which means that that money that you're not spending on those players is staying in the pocket of the Sixers. And then the Sixers are going to keep selling the same number of you know games and, and, and TV packages over the next couple of years that they did over the last couple of years. So at the very least, the owners are probably just upset and pissed about the fact that the team's been losing. I mean, you can't you can't get around that. The team's been losing and it's embarrassing, but, uh, you know, come on, you got to be looking at your balance sheet. And Hinky says that in his letter. He's like, Hey, I'm not going to be around anymore, but you guys have the most draft picks of any team over the next handful of years. That means you've got the highest probability and the highest chances of getting a superstar or quality players. You've got the most, you know, foreign assets that you've had in a long, long time. You've got the best payroll that you've had in a long, long time that gives you financial flexibility. He says it might stink right now, but the truth is this team is primed, primed for success in the future. They have the highest probability this year than any other team ever of getting the number one pick. And they have the highest probability this year ever of getting two top five picks than any other team has had in the history of the draft lottery. And Hinky's like, yo, that's what I was doing here. But I think the owners fell on the ears of the, the fans they were taken down by the fans' desire to win and the, you know, the hate and the venom of everybody out there just hating what was going on with the Sixers and the and the uh, the obsessive losing or the, the the excessive losing. And I mean, I'll admit it, I'm a huge Sixers fan and I mean, I got fed up. At this year, I was pretty darn upset as the team continued to lose and lose and lose and it didn't and and Embiid sat out for a second season. I mean, it was just pain. I can tell you right now, Hinky there was no way he could have seen the fact that Embiid was going to set out for two straight years, maybe one year. He took that with Nerlens Noel. I think he was willing to take it with Joel, but a second season, I don't think he saw that coming. I mean, come on now. Um, so the owners, pretty much it got to them. Now let's go to the other side of the coin, which I haven't mentioned yet. I've been talking for 18 minutes about Hinky, Jerry Colangelo. So at Christmas time, right before Christmas, the Sixers owners bring in Jerry Colangelo to assist Sam Hinkie or to improve the decision-making process. That must have been the beginning of the end. I think Hinkie saw the writing on the walls at that point. Whether they wanted to make it transparent to the fans and the public, it was true that I think the owners started to get a little cold feet when it came to the approach, when it came to the process, as, as the word has been used again and again and again. And they... They wanted to have a more seasoned, experienced veteran, you know, GM in there. They wanted to have a, a president of executive, a president of basketball operations guy in there who could have a little bit more experience and, and input and impact on the team that I think would probably, you know, probably win the hearts of the fans more than what Hinky was doing. So Jerry Colangelo comes in. He brings in Mike D'Antoni as, I guess, some type of an assistant coach. I think there was a feeling he might take over as coach, but very quickly they give an extension to Coach Brett Brown, knowing that Brown's not going to go anywhere. But what has become apparent recently is that now Jerry Colangelo's son, Brian Colangelo, is a very accredited general manager in his own right. He has, he's been general manager of the Toronto Raptors. I think he managed uh, 
the Phoenix Suns, or maybe not Phoenix, but I think it was Denver. Well, anyway, very accredited um, you know, GM in his own right. There were some feelings that they were going to bring in Brian Colangelo and that he was going to be a peer of Sam Hinkie's. The two of them would be working sort of in tandem together. But in some ways, let's be honest. Let's be honest. You're bringing in these guys. You're essentially stripping Sam Hinkie of some of his power. You're marginalizing his control and his say over the team and what's been going on. That's obvious. So the more of these other people, it's like it's like Sam Hinkie had the job before, and now you're bringing in people to help him. Like if that's not an indication of the fact that you don't trust these what he's doing, then I don't know what is. So. I think Sam Hinkie saw the owners bringing in these other people. I think they saw less confidence in what he was doing and how he was doing things, and specifically his image and the, uh, you know, his image in the public was not very good. Like I said, he wasn't giving interviews. He wasn't talking to anybody. He wasn't defending what he was doing. He was just doing it and kind of being like, listen, whatever you think of it, I don't care. This is my job and I'm doing it. And I've got the backing of the ownership. And in the end, they didn't fire him. They didn't push him out. I don't think they wanted him gone. I think they really felt that he was doing something innovative, something great, and something that would work in the long run. And I think that they, you know, they felt that, that he needed some help and they felt that they wanted another perspective and they wanted some more traditional NBA guys in there who could, you know, maybe defray some of the, the bad press that was coming with all the losing. And, um, and I think they felt that this would all work together. But in the end... I don't think Hinky wanted any of that. Hinky's an interesting guy. He's a fascinating guy. If I really want you to read this letter, I might just do a whole podcast where I read the whole friggin' letter on this podcast. I mean, it's it's just a it's it's quite an eye-opening uh, look into who this man Sam Hinky is. And I'm curious where he's gonna where he's gonna land after all this is said and done. Uh, if he'll still be in basketball, I mean, I could see this guy running a Fortune 500 company if you ask me. I mean, he's just such an innovative thinker, but he's got to be involved. In, he's too much of a basketball guy, basketball mind. Someone's going to take advantage of him. I mean, hey, might even be the Spurs. I wouldn't put it past the Spurs whatsoever. I would see him totally going to a team like that. They would scoop him up, but the Sixers franchise has been through too much pain as of the last couple of years, and you know, he put himself out there. He put himself out there. He did something that was definitely contrarian. It was against the grain. It was innovative. And, you know, he had the backing of his owners, but I think in the end, they 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 couldn't take it. They, it got too hot in the kitchen, and even they wanted out. And um, once he saw that... Uh, that they didn't that he did that he didn't have the confidence in the the owners anymore and and the people inside and they were sort of losing faith in him. I think he was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm out. He's like, it's over. It's over. This is not I can't I can't do my job the way you want me to do it anymore, you know, at the position we're at now. Like I've been doing everything the way I, you know, I'm still sticking to the main goal and you guys are starting to waver from the goal. That's what he said. He was like, I've got in his letter, he's like, I've got goals and he illustrated the goals and he said every single board meeting we've had, I have repeated these goals, all right? I'm not straying from these goals. As a matter of fact, I find I think that's a way to get off the point and to make mistakes. He's like, these are the goals and I'm sticking to them. And you know what? I think he is still sticking to those goals. The reason why he's resigning is because I think everyone else in the room isn't sticking to those goals anymore. And he's like, you know what? If you're not on board, then I'm out of here, guys. You guys want the Colangelos? You want Jerry and Brian to run your team the way they run every other franchise out there? Be my guest. You guys can reap the benefits of all the hard work and bad press that I got over the last three years. And sorry that I won't be here to see its fruition, but... I'm not going to ride this wave anymore. I, you know, and he resigned. He walked away. He was like, uh-uh, 
I don't, I, I don't, you guys don't have my back anymore. I'm not doing it. Sam Hinkie, fascinating, fascinating persona. I am very curious to see where he ends up uh, after all this is done. And I'm very curious to see how fast it ends up being before he lands with another team. So interested, so interested. Thank you for listening. I had to talk about Hinky. I had to talk about this entire scenario. Highly recommend you check out the uh, the letter. It's online right now. I think Deadspin has it or Mark Stein on ESPN posted it. It's out there. Um, thanks for listening. Sam Sports Show. Uh, or Sam Sports Show. That's my radio show that I have Saturday mornings. It's going to be airing uh, every morning, 10 a.m. on 610amsports.com. Check me out there, Sam Sports Show. Check out the you know my podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Uh, email me uh, mailbag questions at samsportsstation at gmail.com, S-M-A-S-S-P-R-T-S-S-T-A-T-I-O-N at gmail.com. It's real easy. Also, like my Facebook page. Facebook page is Sam's Sports Station. Go there, like it. I'm putting all kinds of fun news on there every day. Put little postings. All kind. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to post the letter right there. So if you want to read the letter, go to Sam's Sports Station. There'll be a link for it. As always, thanks for listening. I love you guys so much. You're the best. Um, farewell, Sam Hinkie. It has been a pleasure. Well, maybe not a pleasure, but it's been real, to say the least. Um, very curious to see who the next GM will be. Only time will tell. In the meantime... Go Sixers. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.